and welcome to Bear Talk. I'm uh, David Bear, your host, and our topic for today is COVID vaccines and whether or not uh, Christians can, in good conscience, get the COVID vaccine. There's been some uh, debate or discussion about this. There have been certain uh, Christians, I think, particularly in the Roman Catholic Church, there have been some bishops and so forth who have who have who have argued or suggested that Christians cannot uh, either get any of the vaccines or cannot get some of the vaccines uh, because of their relationship to abortion. So I we're here to, 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 to consider and examine these questions. I've assembled a, a prestigious panel um, of experts to discuss this, uh, uh, both of whom are also my friends. So first of all, we have um, uh, Gil Mylander, who is a uh, research professor at Valparaiso University, uh, also a, a well-known uh, bioethicist and author of uh, Bioethics, a Primer for Christians, which is actually a book I use in my bioethics class. And then we have Joseph Capizzi, who is a um, uh, a professor of moral uh, theology at Catholic University. Uh, so anyway, p- hello guys, thanks for thanks for coming on my show. Thanks for having me, David. <laughs> Exciting uh, to be here. Yeah. So um, so what I, what I want to do is I want to discuss because Gil, you had an article in First Things uh, discussing this question. So I, I think that's about where I want to start. But before I do that, I thought I should kind of just do an overview about the nature of about vaccines, because it's possible that people listening don't actually know how vaccines work or how they're developed. And so I'm just going to just give a kind of quick overview. I had to check in with the biologist to make sure I had all the information correct, but I'm going to give a kind of quick overview on um, on um, vaccines. And then maybe we can get to the sort of moral question. So just quickly, then, of course, uh, vaccines relate to viruses. I guess I, sh- I should say something about viruses, right? Viruses are little tiny organisms that make you sick. Um, and what's unique or special about uh, about uh, uh, viruses is that they, they're they alive, but they can't reproduce on their own. They can only reproduce if they have a host. So what the virus does when you get sick, right? The virus uh, comes into your body. It uh, sort of atta- attacks your cells or attaches itself to the cells. It's sort of common Deers that cell, directs the cells to reproduce the virus, which then spreads more viruses, and then you get sick. So the way your body fights a virus, so this is what's special about viruses, they have to sort of attach, they can't reproduce themselves, they have to attach or have a host. Uh, And then when you're sick, your body responds by uh, uh, producing antibodies, which among other things, uh, the most important thing I suppose is they they attack the virus so that the virus uh, can't attach itself to the cells and reproduce. So they, viruses have, uh, there are different kinds of viruses, but they all attach the cell with sort of like spikes. If you think of the, the, we've seen those models of the coronaviruses, the ball with the, the spikes coming out. So those spikes are the things that attach to the cells and your antibodies, among other things, they somehow attack those spikes so that um, the, the, the virus can't attach, can't reproduce, and then you, you get better. Okay, so that's, that's how a virus works. And then the vaccines, there are different kinds of vaccines, uh, but the basic idea of a vaccine is to sort of train or tell your body uh, uh, what the virus looks like so that your body can respond more quickly, have the antibodies ready, and then you, you won't get sick. So there are many kinds of, or a number of kind of vaccines, but the ones that matter here, there are sort of a kind of more traditional vector vaccines. And this is the kind of vaccine that the Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca is. And the way a vector vaccine works is um, it's basically they take a, a, the sci- scientists take a virus, a sort of harmless or not too harmful virus, maybe a cold virus, and they genetically modify it. So they take out part of the DNA of the virus and put in part of the DNA of the of the coronavirus. In this case, probably the part responsible for the spikes. Uh, and they create a sort of genetically modified virus. And when you get the vaccine, you're being injected with this uh, genetically modified virus. And it, because it's modified, you're not going to get sick, but it's sufficient enough to teach your body to create the antibodies to fight it. So that's, that's a lot of uh, vaccines work that way. The issue here, they, they, they modify these viruses. Of course, the issue is the virus can't reproduce itself. They have to reproduce. The, the virus needs a host to reproduce. And so what they've done in this case, and they do this in the case of other viruses, is they, they use these cell lines, 
immortalized cell lines. They take their modified, genetically modified virus, and then the cell lines of which they have these, I guess, in labs and so forth, manufacture or produce uh, the virus in great quantities because you need it in great quantities to have the vaccine. And then, okay, then the, uh, the, then the virus is taken out. Once you get enough of these viruses, you purify it. And what you're getting injected with is a vaccine. So in the case of the Johnson and Johnson, and I think also the AstraZeneca, the the cell line that they use to to manufacture, basically the cell line is sort of the the factory that manufactures the virus or the vaccine uh, is the cell line. It's HEK two thirty or two ninety three, which apparently is a very widely used and very common cell line, but it's derived. Um, from it, it's some it, it's derived it's genetically modified but derived immortalized from uh, cells taken from uh, the kidney of an uh, of aborted fetus sometime in the 1970s. So that's kind of where the issue is. So that you need the the cell line which is derived from uh, the cells of an aborted fetus to to manufacture the the these uh, vector vaccines like Johnson and Johnson. Okay. So then the other. The other vaccines that are common, the Pfizer and the Moderna, which are quite uh, basically rely on a new technology uh, and seem to be quite effective. They don't they're not vector vaccines. They don't manufacture themselves with the cell line. What these new vaccines do, as it was explained to me, is they just all they do is they have the messenger RNA. They have a, a section of the RNA of the of the coronavirus. So when the virus attacks a cell, right, or at least when the coronavirus does, it, 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 it attacks a cell and it, in this case, it commandeers the, the RNA. So you have the cell has the DNA, which is all the information, then the RNA communicates somehow with the protein so that the cell will produce. And so the, the COVID vaccine hijacks the RNA and, and, and directs the cell to produce the, the virus. So what these uh, Moderna and Pfizer do, these uh, RNA vaccines do, is they have a small section of the RNA the part of it that's responsible for the spikes, they just, you're just injected with the RNA and that somehow is sufficient for your body to recognize it and build the antibodies to protect yourself. So in the case of the RNA, of the, of these RNA vaccines, you don't have to, um, they're not produced with cell lines. They're produced as, I guess they sort of brew them in like big vats of organic material and uh, with enzymes or whatever they need. And these, and the, and the RNA, the section of the RNA just reproduces. And then when they get enough, they, you know, purify it and give you the vaccine. The, so it's made without relying on this cell line. Although it is not the case that these uh, RNA vaccines are totally removed from the, uh, from that cell line, because it turns out that when they tested these RNA vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna, they have to test it on some cells and they tested it on the same cell line, as I understand it, that's derived from uh, uh, an aborted fetus. So although we don't manufacture, or the, the RNA vaccines aren't manufactured through the cell line, they were tested on the same cell line and we wouldn't know that they work. Uh, we wouldn't have them then without some, without having been tested on the cell line. So, Okay, so that's a, my little biology lesson. I had to ask a, a biologist to make sure I got it right. Hopefully I did. Um, and so then maybe there we can kind of see what the, what the moral issues are, what the possible moral issues are. And so I thought with that in mind, maybe we would, I was going to ask, um, well, maybe we can just lay out what, uh, what would be the moral objection or what's the concern about these vaccines? What's the, what's the argument against them uh, that... Uh, someone would make. I don't know, maybe, I don't know, Joe, do you want to offer yeah, some? Sure. Um, as Gil points out in his uh, essay in First Things, there are some people, and like you said, particularly it's, you know, it's, it's uh, a standard Catholic mode of argument. We're going to argue using uh, the, the language of cooperation. And the idea is that uh, we try to avoid in our actions cooperating with things that we understand to be evil. And those who argue uh, against the use of these vaccines are making a case that these vaccines, either all of them or certainly the AstraZeneca and uh, the J&J ones, the ones you described as vector vaccines, those seem to be uh, their use seems to be a cooperation in evil, the evil of the abortion associated with the development of the HEK 293 line, and therefore we should not use them. Before we proceed, though, I want to be clear that that view is a 
really minority view among among Catholics. Um, you know, in particular, people who looked at the morality of these vaccines. The overwhelming majority of people who have spoken to the use of vaccines, from the Pope to the American Bishops Conference to uh, Catholic institutes in the country, uh, the NCBC, the National Catholic Bioethics uh, Council, etc. These guys are all saying that these vaccines are usable. Uh, and there may be some distinction about how they parse out the cooperation question uh, between the two classes of vaccines, but almost all of them uh, are, are in agreement on this. They're, so I just want to, I want to be clear to anybody who's listening that it's a bit of an outlier position to think that there's some problem. But anyway, it's the cooperation with evil argument that people are using. Okay, so let me just make it okay. So it is a kind of a minority view. Uh, yes. but let let me let me make it. Uh, so okay, I think that's the idea. It's a cooperation and evil, and David, I'll just try, yeah. David, could I say it, yes. it's a minority view, but a very strongly held one by that minority. I mean, that's absolutely right. They're very concerned about it. That's part of what has given it so much tension. It's it's not a numbers issue so much as a a volume issue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. And we should at least take the concern right. uh, seriously. Um, and so, like, I think the so the idea here. I'm just going to try to build on what you were saying, Joe. And yeah. Then, so, uh, so there's a concern uh, that you're cooperating in the evil of abortion, and it seems to me it's not always. I don't think it's laid out so clearly. But the idea, the basic idea, I think is, well, look, you wouldn't have this cell line if you had not killed the baby. Right. You had not aborted a fetus. So uh, the the abortion or the, the killing of this uh, baby is the means to the end of uh, I mean, maybe it's the means to the end, the means to the means to the end. But there's a direct sort of means in relationship between this act, this morally wrong act of aborting this fetus and how you have been able to get the cell line. Um, you know, to to manufacture the uh, the, the virus. So I, I I I mean that's why there's some. I, I think that's the the concern. I don't know that is that fair. Would you agree with that or? Yeah, I think so. I, I, right. There's there's some there's some material connection between this evil act that happened and the bringing into being of these vaccines. Uh, and so long as there is that some. There is any such material connection. We have to think about our relationship to, the, and, and this is how the cooperation, you know, argument goes. And you guys are both aware of this. We have to think about the relationship of our intention to the intentionality of the evil act in the first place. That's really typically what cooperation is concerned about: is our intention somehow uh, getting implicated in the evil intentionality associated with that act? Okay. There's also the additional concern some people have that we are making the we're sort of profiting from the abortion um, and making it therefore seem uh, less bad uh, and even uh, even encouraging people to think that it may not be such a bad thing to do because of these good consequences that flow from it. I think there's there's the worry. Uh, I'm not saying it's a in this case a valid worry, but the worry that that simply by uh, profiting from it, we are making it uh, seem like a uh, a relatively good thing to do and something that maybe should be done more. Uh, you know, uh, for uh, right. for medical progress. I mean, th there's that kind of worry too. Okay, so good. So Gil and I, uh, you're up now. Uh, so maybe you can lay out the the. Uh, <laughs> well, you were up already, but now we're. I'd like to hear the position here that that you've laid out in this article and first thing. So about vaccines and fetal tissue, maybe you could just sort of walk through what you think are the main the main points there. Well, I actually uh, started from a book that Paul Ramsey wrote a long time ago. Uh, Ramsey was my teacher in graduate school. And one of the things I've often said that I, uh, that I learned from him is that sort of every time I had what I thought was a, an important insight, uh, a significant observation to make, um, and I started to follow it out, I realized that Ramsey had been there before me. Um, maybe just that, that's just the way he was. Um, and, and I went back to the, the Ramsey book when I was thinking about this because I hadn't read it in years and years. Um, and it helped me uh, uh, 
to take a somewhat different angle. I found that, at least in this case, probably actually in a lot of other cases, uh, because I don't really work quite out of that Roman Catholic uh, system, the, the cooperation language didn't seem to me to be as significant, especially what's uh, what Joe called material cooperation. Um, uh, and it began to seem to me more significant that the, uh, the use of the fetal material in the development of the vaccine was uh, not a use of uh, any living human being. Uh, I mean, it was a use of material from a being who'd been uh, destroyed wrongly, in my opinion, but still was no longer living. And I think the rules change uh, at that point. We don't necessarily think that it's always uh, wrong to use dead bodies uh, for various reasons. Um, I mean, there are complicated questions connected with it, but we don't. And uh, it seemed to me, therefore, that the, the argument was uh, was missing the, that significant point that uh, these fetal human beings, uh, though they'd been destroyed wrongly, were dead. Um, and what we do with dead bodies uh, and what sort of rules circumscribe what we do with dead bodies is different from what we think we may do with living bodies. So that's where I started from. And once I began to think about that, it didn't seem to me that, um, I mean, granting that, uh, assuming, and I think it's true in, in this case, uh, that, that that baby back in the 1970s was not aborted in order to uh, produce a cell line that could be immortalized. There wasn't any intention to do that. Assuming that's the case, then it didn't seem to me that um, the worries about uh, uh, sort of being implicated in the evil of the abortion were uh, were worries that needed to to sort of be a hindrance to use of any vaccine here. I don't know. Did that make sense? Well, I read the article, so it makes sense. Uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, so I'd like to just sort of think about that some more. I don't know. Um, Joe, do you want to ask any questions about that distinction? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Look, I read the article, too, um, and you fairly represented your own article, Gills. Yeah. <laughs> well, so maybe, wait, but let's, it seems to me, yeah. I should just, it seems to me that what you're saying, the, the basic distinction that you're making, Gil, is that we need to distinguish between research or things done to a living fetus and research done with a, a, a deceased fetus. And that, although we wouldn't be, at least that's what, it, although we would have to apply one set of moral standards to what we do with a living fetus, you know, we might object to things that once the fetus is deceased or it's a cadaver fetus, then there's a different set of rules. Or that, it doesn't, that, mean that, any, doesn't mean that anything goes then, but it does mean that the, the argument shifts. Okay, all right, good. So Joe, do you have any thoughts? Well, yeah, look, I have a lot of thoughts about it. And, it, and, and I mean, I don't want to overstate this, but I but I wonder, I guess my hesitation with Gil's argument is that his point that the rules change uh, is almost. It, it, it's almost irrelevant to the, the fundamental questions at hand, right, because the uh, so I don't think anybody would deny that killing a living human being is different from. Uh, making use of the remains of uh, a dead human being. Uh, to my mind, the more important question is, can, can we understand our actions, whatever actions that we engage in, to in some way be related to someone else's prior actions, right? And, and are they in any way like um, expressing a similar intentionality to those other actions. So, so I can, so I think we could all agree that there's a difference between the issue of fetal tissue research and the issue of abortion, right? And there's moral questions that both of these things raise, but I don't know how much further we can, we can go by acknowledging that, right? Because Take, take the position of somebody, um, you know, one of my colleagues, for instance, who is one of these people who argues that we should not be using these vaccines. What, he, what he's going to point out is that, well, the use of fetal tissue is a moral question. It is, the, the prevalence of fetal tissue is in part 
fueled by the abortion industry, right? I mean, there is an industry of, of you know, terminating human life, fetal human life. There is another industry associated with disposing of the waste of that fetal human life. And all of that material, you know, then becomes part of this, uh, part of the industry of fetal tissue research. And when we, when we, when we like think of these things as separable from them in the way that perhaps you might be suggesting they are, um, not distinguishable, but actually separable, like we, you know, that they don't implicate each other, then we've already gone too far. We've, we've begged too many moral questions that still remain. That, anyway, that's, I know you're, David's not quite following, but anyway, that, that's part of my concern here. Well, let's see, Gil, go ahead. You want to, what do you think? Well, I don't know what those moral questions are that we're begging, uh, I guess. Um, uh, if uh, women were having abortions in order to provide tissue for research or were being encouraged uh, to do that, and as I said before, I mean, that is one of the issues that people raise, whether it constitutes an encouragement. If they were being encouraged to do that, um, then I'd be worried too. Um, but uh, it doesn't seem to have been the case in the, the, in the, in the development of the uh, AGK uh, 293 line, uh, nor is it generally the case today. There are various uh, uh, barriers set up to uh, making that possible. And um, therefore, it, it's just hard for me to see the connection uh, that, uh, I, I mean, it may be that some consciences are more sensitive than mine, and that's my problem. Um, that's possible, yeah, yeah. but um, but I don't uh, I don't see it. As I say in the article, um, it wouldn't be wrong to use the body of a homicide victim, the cadaver of a homicide victim, um, uh, for research in certain circumstances or for organ. Uh, transplantation. Um, it's conceivable that that could be done without in any way sort of um, uh, approving of or encouraging or implicating oneself in the homicide. Now, if you, uh, uh, if you want organs for transplant and you set up a deal with the hospital down the road that every homicide victim who comes in, you know, uh, you'll get organs. That's, that's maybe a different question, but um, uh, the, the, the connection just doesn't seem to work in my mind. So yeah. Let me just, so, so Joe, the seemed the way, what your question seemed to be, I don't know if this is a fair characterization, but it seemed to be a kind of the complicity in evil, right? So you're saying that, well, we had this evil thing uh, that happened, right? This, and by, you know, getting the vaccines, we're being, we're, we're in some ways we're supporting or being complicit in that evil. To me, it sounded like a complicity in evil argument. So, of course, you can if that's fair. Let's just sort of, it, it, um, yeah. it, but it can only be complicit in evil if the original uh, creation of the cell line was evil, right? So then, to me, the question is: uh, well, we can think about the complicity in evil thing, but the the prior question is: is it wrong in the first place to uh, create the cell line from the cells of the? Um, you know, the aborted fetus. So if in fact this distinction works that Gil has suggested or that comes from Ramsey, that that we have to think differently about um, what we do with the um, cells of a cadaver fetus, you know, and, and in that case, it was basically right or there was nothing wrong about developing the cell line, then we wouldn't be complicit in evil. So to me, the, the first question, it, it, yeah, it, so, I mean, we can decide who's begging the question, but to me, it's the complicity in evil begs the question. The first question we have to decide is, was this permissible or was this evil My, myself? That's what I would Right. So, well, I, I guess the first the first question uh, might be is is fetal tissue research, you know, itself an evil? And and the answer, I think, all three of us would agree is no. Right? It's not. You know, you you can we can harvest um, tissues from human beings from cadavers uh, of all ages for the use. Right? I mean, is that does that seem right? And then this question, right? This this particular one, these got right. The argument is. Well, this was an abortion, right? Um, and there, therefore, this one seems to be part of. Look, I'm trying to understand the, the argument of these people, right? My colleagues, right? You know that that this is part of a regime, right? It's it's not a one-off. This is a you know, if you saw any of these arguments, this is how they argue. This is not some 
thing that happened 70 years ago, right? It's actually part of a, um, I use the language of regime, right? It's a part of a culture, right? Or something that- uh, It's actually a business is what they're really getting at. So, I mean, okay, but do, does it, yeah. uh, so does that, does it matter then? I mean, so to, well, to me that it, it assumes to, to assume, well, that, yeah, go ahead. I yeah. Think, I was gonna say, it, it matters for them, right? Because it, there's an ongoingness to this, right? They'd claim that involves, uh, it involves a denigration of the human being, right? The sacredness of human life and even the sacredness of, you know, the, the dead. Right. So they see this all. They want to they do not want to disaggregate this in the way that Gill suggests in the paper. Right. Um, they want to see this all as under, you know, as a whole. So our action then is contributing in some way or not. Right. To this whole. I'm sorry to interrupt, Gil. No, that's fine. And, and I mean, I, I'm not unsympathetic to that. Um, I, I suspect that all of us, that is to say, not just the three of us, but the colleagues you're talking about. Uh, Joe, would agree that um, even though it's actually not very plausible to be able to do it, that if the fetal tissue we were talking about came from a spontaneous abortion, from a miscarriage, nobody would think it was right. It would uh, would be the use of cadaver tissue that nobody had intentionally produced this dead uh, body, and and there wouldn't be any uh, worry about it. Um, So that uh, the fact that this comes from... uh, an intended abortion, an elective one, rather than a spontaneous one, uh, is it certainly a moral difference. Um, and there isn't any question that we live in a world and a culture right now where um, uh, there's enormous momentum behind uh, the abortion industry and uh, the related use of fetal tissue. So all, uh, that's all reason uh, to, yeah. uh, to worry. I just think that the, the place to worry about it is not so much in trying to make what looks to me like a really strained connection uh, in the case of uh, the development of a vaccine and the use of a cell line that ultimately can be traced back to an aborted fetus. The place to work on that is in uh, public argument about abortion uh, and to uh, uh, object in various ways to that. So, uh, so I don't wanna underplay uh, yeah. or, or take or, or pretend that these aren't serious folk with serious concerns. I just am not sure that they've focused at the right spot that they've got. They've attacked the evil in the right way. Um, uh, that's what I'd say. So, yeah. So does it, so it seems, to, so I don't know. It seems to me that the, the crux of it then is that to what extent is the, is it a, a means in, in other words, if the, if the abortion is the means to getting the cell lines rather than the cell line is just sort of incident, the creation of the cell line is incidental to the abortion, then that seems to me the, the difference. Is that, is that, is that correct? Or it's, you guys a mean, it's a means in the sense that you wouldn't have gotten the cell line had it not been for the abortion, but uh, not necessarily it, 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 in the sense of intention that the the abortion was not carried out in order to provide the cell line. Um, and to me, again, that makes a considerable difference if, uh, and, and indeed, even when uh, fetal tissue is used today, acquired today for research, and again, there are reasons to be concerned about it, but when it is, there are a considerable protection set up. Um, I mean, the, the possibility of donating the tissue for research may not be mentioned to the pregnant woman until she has already decided on whatever grounds she decides for abortion. The uh, physicians who uh, deal with her about the abortion must be completely separate from the researchers. Uh, so there are barriers to, uh, to setting up the kind of clearly intended connection that you're worried about or you're suggesting would be the real problem, David. And I, I, I agree. I don't want to underestimate the, uh, the way abortion has marked our, uh, our public life. I just think we're best able to uh, worry about that and criticize it when we focus on it at the right spot. Um, and I, as I actually say in the article, I sometimes am afraid that the pro-life folks with whom you know, I'm in sympathy, um, but they may kind of hurt their case by straining to connect it 
to make the connection in the wrong way. Uh, so let me ask, and this is, I, this is like, I don't actually know this is a question I have, but I mean, does it matter in, uh, in towards evaluating the morality of getting these uh, uh, cells? I mean, how con- the, the actual procedure that's involved in grafting the cells? I mean, in general, I, I don't know how they do it with the fetal research, but grafting cells is easy, right? I mean, if you do a DNA test, like, you know, you want to find your ancestor, you put a thing in your mouth and you basically are, are grafting cells and you send it off somewhere or, you know, they do, they do basically when you get a biopsy, I mean, they, they graft cells. I, I mean, is it necessary to, it might, in terms of this fetal tissue, is the, is the killing of the fetus really essential to even the grafting of the cells? I don't know what's involved in getting a few kidney cells or whatever it is, or is it just that the, those, um, those fetal remains are available. And so I guess otherwise you'd have to, you know, you want to do it in, uh, during a pregnancy or something. I mean, w- would it matter? And my, my thought is that actually grafting cells is a very simple procedure. I could be wrong. It's not very violent and, and it really doesn't require aborting a fetus t- to get it. So I, I don't know. Do you, do you guys know? Or And if that were the case, then there would be even less of a connection, necessary connection between the abortion and the construction or creation of these cell lines. So I, I don't know. Does it matter, this consideration? Or am I wrong? Or what do you think, either of you? How do you propose to get the fetal cells, David? Well, I mean, in theory, so I mean, I don't know. I mean, so first of all, it may not really matter that it's you, you may be able to get the cells in all sorts of ways. And it's just sort of an accident that this particular cell line is a fetal cell. But I suppose you could do it. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. But with enough technology. So this is all I'm not based on any certain scientific knowledge. You could, you know, do it in while a pregnancy. You could extract or do a biopsy somehow and get out. I and mean, in theory, in some modern, more developed uh, science, you could get these, th- whatever you need, this small number of kidney cells or fetal cells without even killing the baby just from a pregnant woman. I mean, may, that may not be possible. I mean, it probably is impossible right now, but in, in theory, it could be, right? I, I, I surely so, don't know the answer to yeah, your question. Yeah. Uh, uh, sort of the, the scientifically, but um, it would strike me as very strange to take whatever risks one would have to take to that fetus developing in the womb of a woman um, in order to, ex- that would be experimentation on a living human, using a living human being. Yeah. Um, and uh, I sort of worry about um, our willingness to, uh, to do that and, and run whatever risks that involved. I mean, even amniocentesis runs some risks. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have some doubts about it, but I'd have to be instructed by somebody who uh, knew more about the biology of it than I do. But I mean, in terms of the, yeah, okay. So I'll drop this because it's well, a just, sci-fi. Just real, yeah. Just, yeah, just real quick in terms of the argument. I've not seen anybody refer to the means um, by which it's extracted or grafted as relevant to the argument. So I'm just in terms of answering your question, aside from, you know, my utter ignorance about, you know, the science here, I've not seen anybody, you know, make, make any argument along those lines that the means here are, you know, are of how, how this is extracted or grafted or whatever is relevant. Okay. That's right. you, you think, you think if it were plausible, some of the opponents would have um, made such arguments. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, all right. So let, let's suppose that, let's just think about this complicity and evil then question. So uh, there is these cell lines that are developed. I mean, they're not really the, the, uh, the cells of the fetus anymore because they're genetically modified. They've been immortalized and changed. So they're suitable for this, but in the, in the basic genetic material, it comes from this uh, fetus. Um all right, and this and this was taken from uh, a fetus that it, that had been aborted, right? And so there was there's this thing in the distance where in the, sometime in the past, and we are some. It seems rather remote to me too, but we are kind of in some way involved in this. Is that kind of complicity? Let's call it broadly complicity and evil. I mean, is that different than you know the other kinds of complicity and evil that? Uh, you know, that we all are involved in uh, just living in the world. Right. And I mean, so, uh, you know, you could you get these arguments. Right. So the you know, the deck what our the U.S. Constitution was, uh, you know, written in a way that that allowed for slavery, written by slave owners. And so it's sort of connected uh, to the institution of slavery. And if we want to not be complicit in the institution of slavery, we would have to like do away with the Constitution or rewrite it. Or I mean, you get these sort of broad 
complicity arguments all the time or or you or we're complicit in uh well there were some of them mentioned in your article Gil. so we're complicit in you know i forget what the examples were well one of the standard examples that a number of people have given and i use it is um yeah that evidently um uh many of the railroads in this country were constructed primarily with slave labor so um to uh, get on a train or to uh, use material transported on a train or whatever um, uh, could be claimed to be uh, uh, involving sort of complicity or cooperation in that evil. Um, and I mean, some of the people who've written about it have piled up countless uh, instances of um, what seem like sort of just everyday things, but that there's a case to be made for saying that it rests ultimately on some uh, some kind of evil, so that uh, it is hard to get to uh, to avoid all such complicity. I think in this case, um, <laughs> as long as you grant that abortion is a really abhorrent evil, then it's going to be a fairly special case. Though I'm not so sure, so much more special than profiting from slave labor. Um, but uh, it will be different from some of the others. It's a, it's, um, uh, and and it's a complicity that you could avoid in ways that maybe some of these others just can't be avoided by anybody who doesn't want to be Amish or something. Okay. What do you, I mean, but you you can, I mean, uh, there, I don't know, you can, lots of our science, our biological or medical knowledge is, is based on experiments that were done that were, you know, maybe they're not as evil as abortion, but that, that were evil. Right. So, I mean, there's probably all sorts of things that we know and way that, that can be traced back to some moral mistake in the past that we can't go back and correct. Uh, You know, I mean, even the first vaccine was developed in a, in a pretty immoral, uh, you know, uh, experiment, right? Where he just, uh, the guy, the, the, I guess it was the smallpox vaccine. He injected the uh, cowpox into a kid, right? Or something. And, and he, it turns out that the vaccine worked, which so luckily nobody was, you know, but that that's immoral, right? We would agree that that's immoral. So our whole knowledge of vaccines is built on this sort of immoral experiment that was done. Uh, I mean, are we supposed to unwrap ourselves from every kind of, of, uh, uh, I mean, it seems impossible to unwrap ourselves from every kind of evil thing that happened or immoral thing that happened in the past. Go go ahead, Joe. Yeah, yeah, I was right. We're not supposed to unwrap ourselves from everyone. But but even as we're talking, right, I think we're all like the way we're talking, we're recognizing that there is something to paying attention to the way our actions now implicate us in or relate to other people's actions and other evils that have happened in the past. And, and all the, the complicity with evil argument uh, is requiring, I think, or the cooperation with evil uh, argument is requiring, is just attending to these kinds of questions and asking, what is my involvement in this right now? So we can, we can talk about like, railroads and things like that, but they're really, they're much more like relevant ones. Uh, it seems to me that, you know, non-speculative ones where we all kind of have troubles, including the ones you mentioned, Gil, in your article. Like um, once you learn that, uh, you know, certain kinds of products you buy that you don't need to have, right? And you recognize, well, geez, this is actually facilitating a nasty government or, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, somehow making profit people who I don't want to make profit. You know, I think many of us would turn away from it. You know, an example of this, you know, is the like the uh, remember the divestment stuff, you know, back when we were in college, David, you know, the South Africa divestment stuff. Right. You know, that that somehow to be right for countries to be investing, people to be uh, participating in the profiting of South Africa. Right. Is a moral question. And it doesn't it doesn't seem inappropriate to me that people ask, well, in what way is my behavior contributing to this now that I know it? Uh, are there alternative ways for me to behave, right, that don't involve okay. me having to do so this? Let, me, so let me get kind of argumentative here. So uh, That's so different I, than you I, do. Yeah, I, I just be, this time, I'd be a little argumentative. I, I mean, is this what we're talking about with the case in, in this vaccine, right, uh, with the vector vaccines or with the J&J and AstraZeneca? It happened a long time ago. 
right? I mean, it, the, the cell line doesn't depend upon um, uh, any further abortions. It's one, it's one case. It's, 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 rat, it's many steps removed from this event. So how I, I recognize this bad thing happened in the past, which has a sure. some sort of connection. But how does like uh, how does protesting or refusing to get uh, one of these vaccines? How does that undo that past evil any more than, you know, I can undo slavery or you know, something it's not like that? a question of undoing it. That's uh-huh. right. It's a question of, in some way, joining your will with it, uh, right. affirming it in some way, uh, being willing uh, to uh, profit uh, and maybe even profit gladly from it. I mean, I think that's that's the thing. And there, yeah, they're all. You know, you, you started this train of conversation by asking how could can, can we really unwrap ourselves from all these things? And of course, we cannot. But um, Maybe some of them are more important than others. I mean, there, for instance, there's a whole body of literature about whether it's appropriate to use the uh, information gained by the Nazi doctors. Um, uh, some people try to solve the problem by saying, oh, they didn't really learn anything significant. But it turns right. out that that's probably not the case, uh, right. actually. Um, uh, it, now, that's a case where it seems like a great enough evil that um, maybe you want to worry about it as opposed to kind of who made the cheese that you're eating uh, or something like that. And I think uh, people feel the same way about uh, uh, being even in fairly remote ways implicated in uh, an abortion. I'm not saying I agree with them. I'm just saying that um, some unwrapping ourselves from some evils may just seem more important than from others. That's all. And, and, and just to follow up on this, I actually find the problem of time really fascinating because uh, because there's a way in which we want to say that it makes us removed from it. And this is this is one of the problems with the language of cooperate cooperation with evil is that it uses language of like proximity, remoteness and so on, which suggests both a spatial quality and also then a temporal one. You know, that like the more distant we are from it spatially to be like a janitor at an abortion clinic rather than, you know, an assisting nurse or the more distant we are from it in terms of time, right? The idea is that suggests that we're more remote from it. And I think, look, I I actually think that there there are interesting questions um, for people like us to think through there. Two instances, I think, like in our, again, that are routine to the way we think about moral problems in terms of time come to mind. One is the problem of reparations in our country right now, right? We're, 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 right, we're, having, an, we're having a public argument about whether there should be reparations to descendants of slaves. Well, obviously, slavery happened a long time ago, you know, and, uh, you, know, the, you know, these people have not themselves been wronged by uh, enslavement. And, and yet, right, we see that Georgetown University and other places uh, are now embracing the idea that, you know, that somehow they profited from you know, the evil that was done, and these people therefore merit uh, a certain reward for that. Another one is the problem of like just titles, you know, the notion of having somebody having illicitly taken property from somebody else. And this is a problem again in our culture, right? So, you know, Indian tribes in New York will sue the state of New York and say, look, our land was illicitly taken, even though it was hundreds of years ago, it's still, right? That the time is not the relevant moral thing here, right? It, it was still proximate to it enough that New York right now ought to reward the tribe, and those seem to me quite appropriate. So, anyway, I think there's a well, I think okay, there's a problem me, with so, time here. Yeah. I, so I think there's a difference between sort of forward-looking. So when we're talking about this question about uh, complicity and evil, which I think is a I actually think it's a dangerous concept. It's used. It's been used to justify, uh, you know, it's it's related to the kind of related to the idea of collective guilt. I, it's, used, it's been used in ways that are to assign responsibility to people for things that they had no choice about or actually didn't do anything. So but OK, that may be. But I think there's a difference between forward looking when we're talking about basically this kind of social justice, there's a difference between forward-looking uh, concerns and backward-looking concerns. So if one says, uh, you know, I'm opposed to abortion, I want to uh, do what I can to stop or, pre- or eliminate abortion, that's a forward-looking concern. And, I, and that makes sense to me. If you say, well, I'm concerned with abortion, I want to make sure that nothing I ever do uh, 
uh, that I do has any sort of connection, no matter how remote, remote with the evil of abortion that happened in the past. To me, that that looks like a project of trying to um, you're not making a difference. OK, you're not really advancing your cause, but you're trying to make sure that you are sort of morally pure. That, that would. So to me, uh, you know, looking for a solution. So whatever in these cases that you gave with the Indians and so forth, well, we're trying to solve a, a contemporary problem. We're trying to figure out what's the what's the just or best solution for the problem right now uh, in light of this history. And to me, that's different than saying, um, than going back and trying to untangle the past or disconnect ourselves from the past. I don't know. Well, what I think is that the more examples of the sort that Joseph provides that we uh, come up with, um, the more I tend to believe that the language of cooperation is not very useful, um, uh, that it's not clarifying really uh, uh, for us here. uh, I'm not even sure that the forward-looking versus backward-looking distinction uh, works entirely. Most of these things, I suspect, are both forward and backward-looking uh, right. at the same time. So, um, uh, I mean, in my heart of hearts, um, if, we, if we return to the Roman Catholic language, the language of formal cooperation, where one's actually joining one's intention, uh, to any evil intention makes perfectly good sense to me. The language of material cooperation, I think, just gets harder and harder to sort out, and we do get all the various uh, uh, distinctions um, that um, uh, it just cease to be persuasive at a certain point. So I'm not a big, I'm not, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think I turned to write the article was looking for something other than what I believe are sort of interminable arguments about yeah. uh you know, uh, uh, the degrees of material cooperation that I, I, I can't see any way to claw my way out of eventually. That's, uh, that, that's my take on it. Well, let me, okay, so this is maybe taking us a little afield, but I, in relation to this question, to, in preparing for this, I actually pulled out my copy of Helmut Thielica's Theological Ethics, right, <laughs> who, as we know, is a Lutheran, right, who uh, has a sense of the world, right, as About numbers, we're all yeah. imperfect, we're struggling in this imperfect world, trying to find the right choice, and at the end of the day, you know, all of our choices are tainted, and we have to uh, you know, rely on the grace of God and so forth. And, and of course, you can overdo those those arguments. But there's also a point, I think I myself would. Uh, so I've got to I mean, I'll read you a little bit and you guys can tell me if you think it's irrelevant to this or not. OK, so here's Tilika. He says the Christian acts always in the form of compromises, nor are these compromises linked merely with a weakness, which in theory, at least can be overcome. They derive rather with demonstrable and objective regularity from the structure of the world. And the Christian is compelled to orient himself on the basis of this fact. Uh, He must know what it means, quorum Deo, that in principle, he never gets in this eon beyond the stage of compromise, right? So I could go on, but the idea, all of our choices are in some way connected or implicated in evils that we don't approve of. Or anyway, this is, this is, would be his his argument. Um, And and so we have to think, well, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm just sort of touting the Lutheran horn here. I'd make this. May, may I comment? Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, from a Lutheran perspective, and and I actually have Tidicke's theological ethics in the hardcover. That's how long ago I uh, uh, read it. Uh, though I sometimes don't like to look back at my old marginalia. You know, you hate to look at what you wrote in the margins 40 years ago or something. Um, but. Um, Although you're right that uh, that that's a strong emphasis in Tiedeke's theological ethics, uh, uh, and it is in characteristic of certain strands of Lutheranism. It's also sometimes the sort of the dark underbelly of Lutheranism, uh, I think. Um, but you know, Tiedeke himself does not carry that all the way through. Uh, he says even he says even in the dark of night, not all cats are gray. Um, uh, and there are, uh, if you, uh, I, I can't dig it out right now, but there are several actions, one of which is torture, bypassing the freedom of an individual that Tiliki says can, cannot be done uh, uh, in a state of grace. Um, so that even with all his emphasis on the uh, 
the Babylonian heart uh, that, uh, that produces this uh, 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 world in which compromise is so often necessary. He af- actually finds uh, uh, several actions which uh, simply may not be done. Uh, even he does. So, I mean, now the question would be whether, we, whether we're talking about a similar such action or not now. And that's a different matter, but but I just don't want you to um, run too far with the uh, uh, Tlegi compromise language. No, of course, of course. But I, so I, I would. Uh, it seems to me in this case we're not really talking about considering a, a concrete moral action. We're talking about something that is connected to a, a dist, connected to a, several chains, many many different sort of a causal chain to an action that happened uh, long ago that I can't affect. And so I, I, to me, I'm not analyzing. I mean, if it would, if it were, I were deciding whether to abort the fetus to get the vaccine, okay, that would be one thing. But I'm talking about using, or this is is my argument, right? We're talking about um, a, a, a vaccine that's developed off of these cell lines through this long connection to something that was, a, uh, has some connection to something that was a moral evil. I'm not, I myself, well, anyway, I'm not, I'm not too sympathetic to this argument. We have to untangle ourselves. I mean, let me just flip it because again, suppose we argue, look, you have a moral obligation to get vaccinated. Uh, because uh, if you don't get vaccinated, we won't uh, arrive at a situation. If everyone doesn't get vaccinated, we won't arrive at a situation of herd immunity, right? Then people will continue to get this uh, infection. Many will die of it. It will continue to have the economic impacts or the impact on people's livelihoods. And so by refusing, uh, taking a moral stand to preserve your your righteousness, right? You are actually contributing right now through your actions to a worsening situation, uh, your action will have consequences, negative consequences for other people. So, so what wish, about that argument? You wish to, you wish to yeah. disagree with the apostle when he says that we should not do evil, that good may come of it, I guess, huh? Actually, I thought I, I did go back and look at the apostle. I thought, I, thought Luther, I thought Lutherans were, were very tied into those Pauline. You, you know, but here, let me just give you one more Pauline passage. OK, so the uh, just so we, okay, I'm leaving the Catholic out here for a moment. But I, I uh, the uh, uh, so, for example, Paul has to consider when he, with the Corinthians. Right. He has to consider this question. Should the can the Corinthians eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, right? So they, there was this issue back, and they'd go to the market. There would be the, the the Roman, the pagans, or whatever would sacrifice their animals, and then they would sell the meat, right? And there was a debate about whether or not you could eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. So this meat had been tainted. It was part of, if you accept that, you know, worshiping a false god is an evil. This meat had been tainted. And what Paul says is, don't. At least as I understand what he's saying, right? This is in the. He says, don't participate in the uh, eating meat in part of a serve a worship of that uh or uh, of that you know that false god but you can eat meat that that comes from uh that's sold in the market that comes from uh, uh, uh meat that was sacrificed to an idol right so there's a even he draws a distinction between a, a kind of uh, complicity or cooperation in evil that's allowed and that's not allowed. He doesn't take a, an absolutist line or. No, he, he doesn't. The, the eating he's, he permits, he doesn't think is an evil. See, that's the distinction there. Um, what he says is all things are permitted, but not all things are helpful. Um, uh, so I don't think he's, he's uh, saying this is an evil thing, but uh, uh, you may do it in this case. I think it's, it's not an evil. I'm just uh, that these are complicated questions. I agree. I just I just don't want you to. Um, uh, uh, I'm leery of the, what has become the kind of standard contemporary reading of Lutheranism, which is essentially sophisticated antinomianism. Um, uh, and I, I I don't think that captures what Lutherans have been up to. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll concede this point. I, I mean, we yeah. got poor Joseph just sitting here. Yeah. All right. Joe, why don't you jump in and, and with your Let me say one more. Or, okay. Go ahead. Gail, say say one more thing yeah. about yeah. Don't forget that um, the, that whole theological ethics, um, which is very powerful, um, uh, is just shaped by the angst of the German World War II experience. I mean, it just uh, it breathes that atmosphere, and that inevitably. Uh, you know, it, that atmosphere which forced countless difficult questions upon Germans, um, uh, you know, sort of inevitably shapes uh, what Tilke what is up to there. Joe, yeah, do you yeah. want to say anything? Correct us or correct me? No, I don't want to correct anything that Gilda said or you said. I, I, um, 
I want to point out one small thing, which of course is that current, right? Current was uh, current uses the language of compromise and draws on it from from Gillica. But just again, back to my peers, David, I want to protect them from, you know, your language of, you know, protect their, how you describe it, you know, they're trying to preserve their righteousness. That's not what they think they're doing, of course, right? What they think they're doing is they're, they're reading a situation uh, in the appropriate way and understanding the use of these vaccines uh, and their the vaccines development's relationship to um, that abortion as part of this culture of abortion of which we're a part that now they, they are trying to take a stand against, right? So this goes to your conscience question or your, you know, the, the question is there an obligation here, right? What they want to say is, no, there's no obligation here um, for us to take the vaccine. Instead, there's in fact an opportunity here for us to speak up in conscience uh, against this abortion culture that we inhabit. To me, that's the necessary component of their judgment that this that this action is somehow complicit in evil in a way that they can't abide. You know, it's not just about themselves; it's about you know the entire culture and about uh, standing up uh, against that. Yeah, no, right. you're not. Well, we're running. I mean, look. So I don't want to keep going on this, but, but so I mean, right? You, they may. Uh, so it's it's in, they int- maybe they intended as a witness, right? So I'm witnessing well, to the um, yeah. The, but and, so the question. I mean, I don't. I guess my thought would be that. Well, I'm not sure about this. That you do something uh, that you believe is right because you're bound in your conscience to do it, and then you hope that what you, your what this action that you believe is right will have a kind of witness or other people will see it and say you know uh, be impressed by by the by the courage or the conviction or the witness yeah, right yeah, yeah. but you yeah. don't act for the purpose or i i would say you don't act for the or i would be inclined to argue here you don't act with the intention of making a witness you act because you're bound in conscience it seems to me if you act with the intention of making a witness you then you have to think about well how is this perceived by other people mm-hmm. uh and if it's perceived by other people as you know um in moderate culture warring, it would be easy to find examples of that, right? Oh, uh, sure, then, sure. then, then, um, it's not a very effective witness. It's a counterproductive witness, and even the idea. Well, so to me, the witness is the consequence of the faithfulness. The witness is not the point. So I, I, I think we overdo right. these witness arguments Listen, myself. Just, just real quick, I agree with that. And one of my concerns about the, this view, at least as sometimes as I've seen them, is. They're all they correlate to people who were either inclined to downplay the severity of COVID in the first place, um, inclined to have questions about the uh, the developments of the vaccines, independent of these moral questions, uh, and in some cases even seem conspiratorial uh, about all this. So I, I worry that you're right um, that there's a kind of correlation for some of these views uh, and this, you know, strong moral stand. Do you want to say anything as Gail, as a senior, uh, the senior person here to have the last word? As, as, as the old guy? Yeah. Just to say, I mean, on your last point, I don't see why one couldn't um, have several intentions simultaneously um, to, uh, you know, to be hoping, intending to witness in addition to that. But I think the general point, it connects to what you said and Joseph followed up on, and, and what I say right near the end of my article is that, um, where I say that I fear that it actually harms rather than helps the pro-life cause, if it's counterproductive to what your um, primary worry is, then you at least need to think about uh, whether this is what you should be doing. And it may still be that you'll just feel you can do, do nothing else. But um, right. uh, I, I do think that it uh, it's a serious question whether this is really helping the cause, the ultimate cause that these people uh, are committed to. Okay. Well, okay. So thank you very much. I was very good. I enjoyed it. I, I could keep going, but I probably the people listening could are probably tired of it. So <laughs> I think I'll call it to an, <laughs> call it to a close, but, but thanks a lot uh, for doing this and for uh, sharing your thoughts with me. And um, 
It was fun talking to you. Been an honor to be on Bear Talk. Yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>